0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is a married couple that lives close to me in the Murray area, Alan and Katie Mount, M-O-U-N-T. Am I saying your name's right? You are. You are. Katie is K-A-T-T, two T's, Two I T's.
1: E- it looks like catty, but it is Katie. You've <laughs> <It is laughs> been Katie. dealing
0: with that your whole life, honey? Yes.
2: <laughs> and Alan is A-L-L-A-N. I get misspelled, but not mispronounced.
0: And just to give you background, the this couple is married. They're in their late 30s. They have four kids from age 5 to 13. They are in the space where Katie is an active LDS member, serves as the primary president, and Alan is somebody who was once a believer and is not a believer. And this is what I would call a mixed-faith marriage podcast on how LDS families navigate the space when a family member or a spouse develops different beliefs that weren't there when they first got married and what are principles that keep us together and keep the family circle together. And this is a really uh, what I would consider a success story because this is a really strong marriage and this couple has developed really good skills to keep their marriage together. In fact, maybe even stronger navigating a road they didn't know that they'd be navigating. Um, Alan isn't someone trying to draw people out of the church. So when some people leave, they maybe rightly so want to share their story and kind of draw other people to their conclusions. And Alan has sort of developed, I think, a discipline, maybe on a one-on-one conversation. He'll explain what happened and why his journey went his way. But that's not going to be the focus of this podcast. There are other podcasts that are talking about the reasons people left and and this is a podcast. We're probably not going to get in that space, um, and um, but I think we'll talk a little bit about Alan's journey and why that's been difficult for him, and and also in Katie and how you're navigating that. Um, is that okay for an introduction?
2: That's Perfect. a great introduction. Yes, thank you.
0: So um, you two met on um, in the MTC. We did. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: You got there first, so you, you can tell that story, honey.
0: I did. Pro- I oh. assume Provo MTC. Yes,
1: we're, right. we were in the Provo MTC, and um, day one, May eighth, two 2002, uh, Alan was made the district leader, and I was one of three sisters. We were a small group. There were seven of us total. And I like to say that um, Alan was young oh. and um, impulsive. And, and so I at first we didn't we didn't really get along. I thought that um, I was older and wiser because at that time you had to be 21 yeah, to go on two a mission.
0: Yeah. So I was
1: well he I left 20. he left a year later. So yeah, he was a year younger than me, but I mean of course I I knew better. That's what I thought.
2: I was a very young 20. I was yeah. <laughs> probably 17 inside.
1: And um so we spent 3 weeks in the MTC in Provo. And then we um, went to the Madrid MTC for six weeks. And in the Madrid MTC, we actually became really good friends. And our whole group really bonded together. We were very close. All of us were very close.
2: The Madrid MTC was a really cool experience because it's very small. It doesn't, it's not open anymore, but it's right on Temple Square uh, right there. I don't know if that's the official term for it there in Madrid, but that's cool. it's on the fifth and sixth floor and it's you can just kind of wander around they didn't have a rule that you had to be with your companions at all times because it's so small and condensed there's only 40 to 50 missionaries there at a time that's cool and so friendships just blossomed and not this isn't me implying that katie and i were ever alone because we weren't Mm -hmm. but um it was just very natural to to walk around and talk to teachers and talk to the Uh, MTC president who happened to be my stake president from Santa Barbara, California. That was really cool. That's cool. Uh, Just a great, great experience.
0: And then you were assigned to Barcelona.
1: Yeah, we were assigned to Barcelona. And I remember we went to the mission office and um, our mission president did this fun thing where, you know, he revealed the map and he told you where you were going and you met your companion and you are. out the door it was it was real quick and so alan and i out of all the missionaries alan and i um were sent to joining um areas so we three
2: hours south of the mission home
1: yeah three hours south in valencia so we sat on the train together and we went to our um our areas. And then we saw each other at zone conferences. And then it was funny because um, when he got transferred up North, I got transferred up North. So we kind of went in the same pattern together. We spent almost the whole mission in side-by-side areas, never in the same mission or in the same area, but I'm um, just side-by-side. And I went home and Alan still had six months left. And I wrote everyone in our in our group because I just loved them and wanted to keep ties with them. And, um, Alan and I wrote to each other. Alan's from Santa Barbara, California. And before, um, coming out to the mission, he was playing volleyball at UCLA. And so, how
2: tall are you, Alan? (laughs) Two meters in Spain, uh, six foot seven here in the states.
0: (laughs) I hope you can see his height on the podcast. So (laughs) I'll try to talk. He he looks like a volleyball player.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was, and he um, swore he would never come to BYU because.
2: Big rivalry. He was a big rival. UCLA volleyball. I remember that. And so,
1: and I was at the time at UVSC. It used to be UVSC before it became UVU. And then um, it's funny. I I put in an application to transfer to BYU, and he got an offer to uh, play volleyball at BYU. And so, I kid you not, I wrote him a letter saying I'll be at BYU in the fall, and he wrote me a letter and said. I'll be at BYU in the fall and within days of each other, the we both got, we both Atlantic. got each other's letter and, um, I thought, Oh, this is interesting. I think
2: we both scratched our chins a little and Hmm.
1: Yeah. We thought mm, maybe this could work. Maybe something could work out. And then he got home from his mission and, um, it was quick. It, w- it was quick. He was, he got home in June. We were engaged in August That's and great. we were married in December.
0: That's awesome. And that, what year were you married?
1: Uh, 2004.
0: So you've been married 15 years. Yeah. 15
1: years.
2: This and you December.
0: got busy having kids.
2: We sure did. Um, I'll tell you, <laughs> our first kid, uh, came from, I still was playing volleyball at BYU. And the original plan was let's finish off volleyball eligibility, play all three years. I played one year at UCLA, so I had three more left and. And then we were in the Provo temple doing laundry in the bottom of the Provo basement, (laughs) a temple basement doing laundry. And that's one of the only places in the temple. You can kind of have a conversation with someone. And we were talking and warning for all those who are listening that don't have kids yet, uh, (laughs) if you ask the question to your spouse, should, should we start having kids and you're in the temple? the answer will be yes. (laughs) So we felt we should. And so, um, because of my scholarship, I had to quit volleyball to get a job to pay because I couldn't earn money with my scholarship. So I quit playing volleyball two years short of eligibility and we started our family and now our oldest turns 13 tomorrow
0: wow that's a sacrifice and but a blessing
1: yeah it, it is a blessing it felt it really did feel good at the time and every on the hard days we kick ourselves and say why did we do that but I'm,
2: I'm not proud when I point out to our 13 year old I gave up volleyball for you <laughs> you need to treat me better
0: <laughs> um, just a little more background on Katie and Alan Katie is in in real estate works for a real estate company here in Utah
1: I do I work um, in Pleasant Grove. for for my sister's real estate company i'm the director of operations there it's a great job i'm taking the summer off um, as soon as the parade of homes is over <laughs>
0: and um that keeps you busy and yeah. alan you're in software sales
2: i am yeah i've been with the, uh, the company in moment which is in south jordan for eight years
0: that's great and you started a podcast we're going to reference um marriage on a tightrope give us an overview of the podcast
2: Sure. Yeah. Marriage on a tightrope is our podcast. We started it in January of 2018. So it's been just about a year and a half now, which is absolutely insane how quickly it's gone. Mm -hmm. But the entire purpose of that podcast is to give other mixed faith, um, couples another voice. So they know that they're not alone. The entire podcast was spawned by Katie's conversation with a a leader and where she asked him, uh, is there anyone in the stake I can talk to? Is there anybody in our situation? And when she heard the answer was no, what did, what did that make you feel?
1: Yeah. I mean, he, I said, you don't even have to give me a name, but just like think about someone that could help me navigate this because I'm a, I'm a to-do list person. I really like knowing what's coming next. And um, I just didn't know anyone that had ever been in a mixed faith marriage. And so I wanted someone to talk to, just to relate to, and I asked uh, this member of the state presidency, and he said, there really isn't anyone you can talk to. And that, I think that was hurtful for me, because um, I just couldn't believe that that there wasn't anyone. And I think, too, um, I thought, if he really doesn't know anyone, it's because people are afraid to talk about it, or... Um, or seek help themselves. And so one day I said to Alan, uh, what you know, what would you think about doing a podcast about what we're going through? And I uh, he was so excited because <laughs> he wanted he was like, Yes, let's do it. Yeah,
2: my brother and I have done a an entertainment video game podcast for a decade now. Oh, wow. And crossing that passion of mine with my spouse just felt like the coolest opportunity so i was just over the moon uh, at the opportunity and so we it got off the ground very very quickly uh we found a, a already established umbrella to fit us into their listenership so right off the bat we had thousands of listeners that's cool so right from the get-go with the first episode we were getting inundated with emails of oh my goodness and the theme especially at the beginning was i've never knew anyone was in the same situation i thought we were alone it it was a lifeline for people to and this isn't this is credit to katie but also this isn't the point of the of talking about it it was just there's so much pain and it feels so lonely on both sides and so you know the non-believing spouse i say in air quotes on this audio podcast Uh, the non-believing spouse didn't have anyone to talk to. And suddenly now there is someone else here, the believing spouse, same exact thing with Katie. And it was, it's just been a crazy journey. And this, the dirty little secret that we have is that we've gotten so much more out of it than our listeners, cool (laughs) because we've talked to hundreds of couples yesterday. We were telling you before we started recording, we, we, um, presented to, to about 25 mixed faith couples. All about this, very raw emotions, but everyone in the room trying to make this work, right? And it's it's just been a huge blessing in our lives.
0: How do people find your podcasts? And do you have a website?
2: We do, yeah. You can go to marriage on a on all your podcast apps, you can search Marriage on a tightrope and just su- and subscribe to it there. Uh, we are under the Mormon Discussions that which is Bill Real, his podcast Umbrella, which full disclosure, has a wide array of of topics. So if you want to just listen to our podcast, it's Marriage on a Tightrope. You can search for that.
0: Good. Uh, One of the things that, as we visited earlier, um, is just sort of what happened with Alan. A lot of our listeners are probably wondering where you went from a fully believing return missionary out of Barcelona, married in the temple, to in 2017, everything shifted. And Um, and you're, you kind of, before we started the podcast, I don't really want to, you know, I don't feel like it's my, this is the scope of my podcast for you Mm -hmm. to share that full journey. I've heard a little bit before we went live and I've learned to hear those stories, but I, I think one of the, as I hear these stories, there's different categories. And one category is a category where I testified of something and I felt the spirit as I testified. And then I later learned, that what I testified of as I read the gospel essays or other church authorized material that indeed what I was teaching was not actually true. And that then creates a lot of dissonance, especially if there was a spiritual experience. Is that a fair way to frame up what happened to you?
2: Absolutely fair. Absolutely fair way of framing it up. Uh, what I didn't tell you before, right. Was I, I found the gospel topics essays while I was preparing a lesson to teach elders quorum because I was elders quorum president at the time. Uh, this was an award in taylorsville so this actually occurred in 2014 and that was also six months after my father had been killed by a drunk driver in georgia Wow. that experience i remember a couple of months after he passed if you've had someone close to you pass there's actually hyper spirituality at the beginning your family's drawn so much closer together everyone's supporting each other you feel so much love and as time goes on you know the messages of love stop the friends that were showering you with love go back to their lives and you're left with the, uh, with all of the destruction of li- losing a father prematurely. And I remember a few months after he passed calling my mom and kind of crying to her and saying, I don't, I don't feel him. Like it, it feels so final. And she said the same thing. She said, I, I feel, I know what do we do? I don't, and it was such a vulnerable moment i think that was some some emotional chinks in my armor mm-hmm. if you will um serving as elders Corn president i absolutely loved it and i still love those people and you want to talk to somebody that has a testimony of home teaching or ministering i'm your guy i'll defend it till the day i die i loved loved i saw the power of it and i loved it uh, so serving as that when this all happened it was it was a bombshell and uh talking to Katie about it after I found uh, this discrepancy and what I had felt the spirit tell me and what I had learned, uh, that conversation went very poorly and I was very scared. So I, you talk about this metaphor of putting something on a shelf. I put all of this on the shelf and I said, forget that. I'm not gonna even think about that stuff. I'm doubling down, I'm back. I, I was working even harder and harder. And then we moved towards and in 2017, this, so this is now two and a half or so years later, I was in a better place. I felt, um, I'm skipping a little bit of the anxiety and depression story that I went through those those intermediary years. That's not the right word, but that's all right.
0: That's a good word. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Um, and uh, and in, yeah, and then in the beginning of 2017, that depression, anxiety had dissipated and, and I thought, I need to figure this out. And so I told Katie, I'm going to figure this out. And what was... That for you? Was that concerning to you that I was going to figure this out?
1: Yeah. So, um, I remember we were sitting in our car in the driveway and when he said he was going to figure it out, cause I could tell that it was something that had been wearing on him. Um, I felt complete peace. I felt total peace that everything was going to work out. And I told him, I said, you know, I really feel like it'll all work out. And he said, yeah, but is it going to work out the way that you want it to work out? Are you willing to accept what will be in store in the future? And I said, I just know that I have peace and I feel good about it and, um, it will all work out. And I I didn't think that it would turn into what it is now, but, um, especially during those dark years where we, our families didn't know. And I think, you know, with a lot of problems, especially in your marriage, um, You really try to work through things together before you tell anybody, you know, you, you want to come to a conclusion or you want to come to like a, an understanding before your whole family knows. So that was a, it was a really dark year, 2017,
2: 2017
1: because, um, I had no one to talk to and, um, Alan really didn't either and i just kept praying and having faith that it would all work out the way it was supposed to and when it wasn't working the way i thought it would um i i was really upset it was hard it was hard for a while
0: it's honest and i think i think both of you mentioned it's hard for both of you it's not like what you're doing i assume as i've met with people in faith crises Alan... Most of them actually want to find a way to stay. Yeah. And I did a Twitter poll one day and said, if you've got a temple recommend and are in a faith crisis, do you want to find a way to stay or to leave? And 88% said, find a way to stay. Yeah. And I, is that, was that your experience too?
2: It absolutely was hundred percent to the point that I still have an active temple recommend. <laughs> I don't know um, if my stake president's listening. Maybe this is your cue to deactivate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's still active till August. Uh, I haven't been in quite a while, but it's still there. Um, so you're
0: honoring the spirit of the Temple Recommend, even though it's technically
2: active. Right, like. right, right. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, yeah, and that was tw- August 2017, right? At that point, um, all of 20, se- probably... April or so of 2017 until December of 2018, so a year and a half, I still attended, and I was trying very hard to make it work, and I think that the the hardest part—I shouldn't say the hardest part in such an absolute way—but one of the more difficult parts of it was 2017 was was Doctrine and Covenants in Church history and Sunday School, and being in Sunday school and hearing some things. And meanwhile, during the week and after church, I'm spending six to 10 hours every single day reading church materials and reading this and reading that and listening to that. And then somebody in Sunday school says, again, I'm gonna be vague uh, based on listenership. We do the same thing on our podcasts. The truth, the truth claims themselves aren't, aren't the most important part, but that difficulty for me was someone saying one thing me knowing that's not actually what the church even teaches, raising my hand to give my thoughts on that and say, well, actually, if you read here on LDS.org, it says this. And then getting fierce and my teeth are clenched because I've had fingers pointed at me and teeth clenched, and that is not how it is. And I was like, I'm not safe here. I, I, and i raising those, raising my hand for eight to 12 months and then in the last probably eight months, it was sacrament only. And then come December, even in sacrament, I just, I couldn't take it. It was just too painful. It was too harm, harmful for me personally. And I think probably the last September, October, November, I was only there because I didn't want Katie to be alone because I knew she didn't want to be alone. And, but it came to a point where it was, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it.
0: I'm pretty tender hearted hearing your story because I've I've been up front with a mini faith crisis I had and it resulted in me ending, remaining a fully believing member, but it also gave me great insight to your road, Alan. And um, my reaction is just to put my arms around you and say you've done everything you know how to do and not to put any shame or any um, new list of things for you to do. And just to put my arms around you and say, I love you, brother. And I, Julie, the Alzevado Hanks had a list of things we ought to say to people as they leave. Um, some of those things are, thank you for your service. Sure. Thank you for spending two years of your life in Barcelona. Thank you for being a wonderful Otterscorn president and bringing people to Christ. Thank you for the good man you are. and and just sort of putting my arms around you in an increasing way as you walk a road that you probably didn't really want to walk. Hmm. Now, there are some that leave, and it might be sin-related and rebellion-related, but there's a lot to just categorize all that. One lump is, is unfair to people like you. And, so, and And then I give you incredible credit, and I don't know how you do this, that you don't want to draw other people towards you. So it would be very natural to say, "This is my journey. This is what I learned," and to sort of draw other people, say, "You, you ought to leave with me." Right? Um, how do you? And maybe you can't always do that, but how do you mean, including your wife and your kids? How do you mean? How do you walk that road where this is my road? I'm a non. I don't. I don't know what label you want to take on, but I'm not necessarily trying to draw other people my way.
2: In short, I think the, the, the best way of putting it is we both try not to focus on true and false or right and wrong anymore. We try to focus on this works versus this doesn't work for me. If I can focus on that, it becomes a whole lot easier for me to accept Katie's, Katie's point of view as I'm not going anywhere. The church works for me. I get joy out of it. I love it what kind of loving husband would I be to want to strip away joy and love from my wife? It's, that's not a fair thing to do. Um, when, when people ask me, and this happens very seldomly, when people ask me that are still believers, um, how did this happen? What, what happened? Ask, tell me about your story. Uh, at the very beginning I wanted to sit down and for two hours rattle off bullet point after bullet point after bullet point of truth claim issues and you didn't know this i bet and oh my goodness and ultimately um i found that that wasn't helpful it it didn't if if my goal was to pull someone out of the church that doesn't work talking to them that way it felt it feels like an attack on something that they hold dear and so having those conversations now if someone asks me about a month ago i had a former missionary companion, want to go to lunch. And he asked me that question and I told him without specifics. And he asked, he even asked a very brave question of if, if, if I were you, uh, wait a minute, if you were me, (laughs) if you were me and I wanted to learn more about what you learned, what, where would you go to, to read? Can you imagine Richard being in my position? The, the balls in my court. I can send him anywhere I want. And I know he's going to read it. And I said, I, you know, if you really, really want to go to LDS.org and read the gospel topics essays. But if everything's working for you, I'm very happy for you. That's it's great. You don't don't feel like you have to go. I just appreciate you asking me how I feel and sitting down with me to lunch. It's good to see. You. I hadn't seen him in 15 years. Um, so for me, it, it goes back to sandwich it back to that beginning is is focus on more of this works, this doesn't, and instead of true and, and false.
0: What, what was helpful for leaders in your journey? Because you opened up to leaders. You're opening up to your dear wife, but you're also opening up to leaders. Can you give any counsel? And I don't want to imply that a really effective leader would have kept you from leaving because that sort of invalidate your journey and and so I don't want to imply that but what would you say to leaders that are ministering to somebody like you um yeah and probably with the goal to to maybe a couple goals one to honor your journey to lim- to sort of recognize the emotional trauma you're going through and maybe to be able to give you a a, a way to stay
2: yeah that was in 2018. I met with my stake president seven times seven or eight times and he was a great listener Uh, he very much wanted to get into the details of the individual issues that i had but we did so very respectfully so i don't even think that was a deterrent he didn't try to tell me i was wrong he would nod his head i actually think i had an ideal stake president for that for that year that's awesome Uh, because he and i would share this is what i said in sunday school last week and he said oh you know it's it's not the tip of this is he said this to a number of my comments he said that's not the traditional way of looking at it but there's absolutely nothing wrong with that perspective and it shouldn't have been reacted to like that and i said well thank you to the point that in uh, you i mean i have a podcast with my wife and so i'm very vocal i'm very willing to put myself out there so the last few visits that we had were centered towards holding a uh, fifth Sunday, third hour, while well, there were still three hours, mm-hmm. uh, meeting amongst all of the stakes, all of the wards rather, and the stake, just kind of go one by one, uh, to team teach the stake president and me about disagreeing respectfully and being more open so the two to other people's were- opinions. The- this is what we, what we were discussing. Okay. to do. It never ended up happening, That's okay. not to his fault. And you'll, you'll know why in here in a second, but he actually went to his area authority and got permission and discussed it with other area stake presidents who seemed to like the idea. And so we had planned on, we had planned on that. We hadn't even discussed format or anything. And then our last meeting, which was in December of 2018, he said, you may have heard, but I'm getting released. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I, uh, something else happened. Um, the new stake president was called in, he was just as great, but something changed within me where it dawned on me that maybe the people in my ward and maybe other wards, but in my ward specifically, they don't want that. Maybe they go to church to be surrounded by people that are like-minded and that believe the same things and they get, get strength from that. So I started feeling bad about my desire to change them, not to believe or throw out the beliefs that they have, but I didn't want to introduce some discomfort just because I wanted to still be there. It, it felt very selfish of me to try to push for that. And because going was so painful, I just kind of, in December, I just went, I, it's okay. I'm just, I'll just throw in the towel. It's all right. I can get my spiritual fulfillment in other ways. And I waved goodbye. Now I'll still go back uh, Mother's Day. I didn't want Katie to be alone on Mother's Day. So I went for Mother's Day and uh, been back to helping with a few things here and there when she needs it, when she's helping with primary. So uh, you kind of grin and bear it and do what you can.
0: It's a pretty cool story. And I want to hear more of Katie's perspective. Um, uh, I remember hearing a talk from... I think it was Bruce Hafen sort of talking about um a maturity where he didn't want to pop other people's bubbles. He actually or balloons and um I think he's a real faithful believing member, but he kind of is walked in the space a little bit. And I can't I'm just paraphrasing what I remember him saying. It was sort of like and I don't not everybody I'm not sure this is the right thing for everybody, but he sort of talks about not needing to go around and pop everybody's balloon. Right. And it reminds me of what you said at church and it doesn't mean those people are shallow no. or they're uneducated. He didn't there's no inference there that they've got their head in the sand. But I like the way you just said that for maybe for them that's what they really want and really need is to come to church and have a like-minded experience with a group of people that agree and there's no sort of challenging of anybody and there's just and that probably for a lot of people really meets a really very much of a spiritual and emotional need. And so I thought, I've thought about that. And I thought, do I want to do anything to pop anybody's bubble? Um, you probably wish your bubble in some ways hadn't been popped.
2: <laughs> Everything was going great. <laughs> um,
0: so I've thought about that. I thought about a book that I read from him also sort of a talking about, and I don't know if you feel like you could ever do this. He sort of talked about, Kirtland temple being this incredible experience, you know, of all the visions that happened there and just, you know, the community was behind it. And I think, and, and then the Nauvoo temple was just the opposite. It was right. just, you know, everything that, you know, we know that story. And he just talked about how for some people there's a Kirtland part of their life and there's a Nauvoo part of their life. and, and, but he does sort of paint that back to having a framework to keep faith, and I don't want to infer that you're weak because you haven't done that. Um, does the term "deconstruction and reconstruction" you know that term, yeah, Alan, and some people are able to sort of deconstruct and then reconstruct and remain in the church. and Do, you, what, do we explain that term to our listeners? Well, and, yeah, and, and how that has or hasn't worked for you?
2: Sure. The deconstruction, man, how long was that process?
1: really long. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. It was a long time and it's, you're deconstructing things. In fact, there was a, there was a point where I was deconstructing, uh, Christ and heavenly father and Katie actually kind of metaphorically slapped me in the face. Um, I, let me use a different term cause that's, that's a bit aggressive. She said, I feel like you're letting your issues with the church impact your relationship with God. And that was a wake up call to me to kind of say, oh, now, hold on a second. Um, and focus on, on God and Christ, and I remember giving even, even in late 2017, standing up in fast and testimony meeting and talking about spirituality, and not in a harmful way, just kind of trying to build up this this spiritual shell that I could, and I was trying to do it within the boundaries of the church, but the deconstructing of of all of the church, and then for me. I'll be honest Richard uh, there was never an attempt to reconstruct the church but certainly there is an ongoing effort to reconstruct spiritually but for me that doesn't mean trying to fit in truth truth again truth is not that's a very difficult term for me right now because i one of my core spiritual values is embracing uncertainty i don't i don't enjoy the I know type of testimonies, I, I have a very strong hope that, that I will live with my family again. I have a very strong hope that, that I will be resurrected. I don't know. I don't know. And so I don't know how strong of a house you can reconstruct when you're not comfortable with capital T truth anymore. Uh, just yesterday, I'm kind of rattling off a number of things, but just yesterday, my son came home from church, 11 years old, and I asked him what he spoke about in primary. And they said, he said that they, they spoke about the resurrection. I said, well, what do you think about that? He's a bully of very few words. He said, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders. And I said, well, do you want to know what I think about that? And he said, sure. And I said, well, I, I believed it my whole life, but the last few years, I'm not so sure anymore. I really hope that I get to see my dad again and I would love to be with you forever. That, that would be great, but I'm not sure. You should ask your mom what she thinks. Cause she, uh, she still really believes it. And he said, okay. And then he grabbed a cookie and ran upstairs. Um, so the, I don't know, I'm, I'm venturing off from, from your, good. from your original question.
0: I want to thoughts. on Katie, you just, Any thoughts? I'm sure thoughts come to your mind. Share some thoughts on your, with our listeners.
1: Oh gosh. I don't even know where to begin. That's a big door to open. (laughs) Um, you know, I think a lot of people worry, um, in our position, how do you teach your kids just going off of what Alan just said? Um, how do you talk to your kids about your new beliefs and for a while we did a lot of groundwork. We talked a lot about agency and we talked about opinions and we talked about, um, you know, we, we have, we go to our church. I take them to church with us most Sundays, but every once in a while we'll have Alan church, which is what we call. And, um, he'll pick something to do and we'll go do it as a family. And we've been to a couple other churches Uh, we went to a rock church and, um, we had a friend that played guitar in the band. And so we went to go support him. And, um, when we left, it was so interesting because the kids, I, I said, okay, well, what did you think about it? And my daughter said it was not reverent at all. (laughs) And my son said, it was awesome. And, um, we talked to, we talked about, I said, you know, we we go, we went to the rock church and we go to an LDS church. What, which church is the right church? And my daughter, my seven-year-old is the one that said, well, neither of them are right. It's what your opinion is. And, and I thought that that was really, um, poignant because I think that that's something that, kids need to learn early on is that you can have a differing belief. You can have a difference of opinion. Um, and it may not be that you're wrong, but that, um, that's just how they feel. And I feel like we did a lot of that in the beginning with Alan, because, um, when it finally came to it and he stopped going to church with us, we wanted to have that laid out so that the kids knew that dad doesn't believe anymore, but mom does. And, um, and because of that, dad's not going to go to church with us anymore. Um, but Alan is super supportive. I mean, he, when I'm at ward council, he gets the kids ready. He has lunch for us when we come home, if I need help, he comes and helps us. And so like, I feel like, um, that it's, it's been an interesting road with the kids. I think there's a lot of anxiety in that. Um, How do you navigate that? But, you know, we, we still have a base, common core values that Alan and I agree on. And, you know, it really doesn't have to do with religion. You know, we want them to learn to be good, loyal, trustworthy um, members of society. There are lots of things that we still want them to learn and do. And, and, um, a friend of ours described it as like, you're looking into a, a daffodil field and you see one red rose and you just, that your eye is drawn to that one red rose. And that can be, you know, problems that you see in your spouse. Right. And so Alan's not believing. And when you focus on that one thing, um, you, you, you lose some of the goodness that, he also brings, so um you know, with the common core values, that's kind of what we we looked at. We looked at the broader picture. What do we both agree on? What do we want the kids to know? what what do we want to teach them? And so that's where we've been able to um, come together on and move forward with with the kids.
0: Is your marriage I'm sure it's been stretched, and I'm sure you your I assume some of your most difficult days have happened during this time is your marriage better now or the same or worse than it was before this all started? Katie.
1: Um, I, I know that it's better.
2: Um, I'm okay with the term I know in that case.
1: I know (laughs) that it's better. That's right. Um, I think that we have developed skills that we didn't have before, um, big time in communication, um, big time in trust, um, the level of love that we feel for each other has been heightened, heightened, um, the level of service that we've been able to do together, um, through the podcast for other couples has, um, uh, just been incredible. And, um, you know, even in the darkest days, I, I, I said to Alan, is it weird that something like this has brought us closer together? I don't understand it. I feel like um, something like this could easily just pull you apart, but it hasn't for us. And um, I I have to say that, you know, in the beginning of our podcast, I think we tried to save marriages because we wanted people to just stay together no matter what. And then we learned that, you know, some people were not great matches and, and adding something like a faith crisis and entering into the marriage um, was diff- was too difficult for them to handle, so I I don't I don't um, pass judgment on anyone that doesn't stay together because um, they have their own journey as well. But for us, we had a really good foundation and um, a really good marriage. And this is a love story. Yeah, it's Alan. What are your thoughts <laughs> on
0: this question about your marriage?
2: Yeah, it reminds me um, of. The conversation Katie had early on with the same stake president, Uh, Katie received a letter from someone close to us saying that she should do the hard thing and do what the pioneer women did and leave their unfaithful husbands and cross the plains and go to Zion. That was not a threat to us because we we had already decided this is not going to be the reason why we break up because we're this is the one red rose. Everything else is daffodils and beautiful, even though red roses are pretty nice, but they do have thorns. (laughs) That's right. But this same stake president, Katie in distress, went to him and just look at this email I got. And the same stake president said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is absolutely no precedence for a spouse leaving the church being a reason for divorce. Unless he's being abusive, if he's having an affair. Is he, and and I, I know, Alan, I've, again, I've been meeting with him. Uh, none of those things are happening? No, none of those things are happening. He's a great man. He's a great father. Why would that ruin anything? Um, so that's again, very, very grateful for him. Uh,
0: what about a spouse that feels like to protect the kids they have to divorce and they're worried the non-believing spouse is, is pulling the kids in the same direction and they want to separate the kids from that voice.
2: Well, uh, my first word of caution would be to the non-believing spouse that don't try to pull your kids. There's, why would you want to try to try to pull them? And the same thing to the believing spouse. Don't try to pull the kids. I don't know why, but I, I. Some would
0: say the default ought to be give the kids an environment to believe. Um, and the default ought to be, you know, keep them coming to church, keep them every chance to stay in the church and sort of honor the believing spouse with the path of the kids.
2: I don't know if I'd go that far, Richard, (laughs) but I would say that, uh, the non-believing spouse, whether they chose this path or not, again, like you said, I don't feel like I wanted this to happen, but it certainly is not something Katie chose. So I recognize that even though I may not be comfortable with some of the things that, that my kids may learn at church that I don't agree with, or I don't want that, that to sink in. I recognize that. It was on me this change happened because of my journey and i need to be patient with their involvement with the church i need to be supportive when they want to go to young men's excuse me when they want to go to young women's i need to be supportive of that i'd be a hypocrite if i weren't because i'm expecting the same respect from people uh, and my decision not to go i need to respect their decision to go now we, I think, one of the big things that Katie and I talk about is we have to talk and be open with our kids to the level of their understanding. I'm not going to go pull my five-year-old and and read the Journal of Discourses with him. It's just it's well beyond his his reach and his scope. So for for us, we've kind of decided that we'll handle these tough topics as they present themselves to us. We've always, we've been very clear with the kids, if you ever have a question, ask us, and we'll tell you what we both feel, and they will know because we've been very deliberate about holding each other's hands, sitting next to each other on the couch, Katie and I, when we talk about some of these difficult things, we provide a united front to the kids, but that does not mean we agree, right? We can have different opinions. So we've talked about our 12-year-old going on 13, In six years, he's gonna be making a a decision. Is he gonna be a missionary? And no matter what happens, one of us is gonna be on the losing side, quote unquote. And how are we going to handle that? Uh, Just like I'm not okay with my my 12-year-old not going to church because he's just tired. Like that's not a good reason not to go. Katie has asked me, what are you gonna do when he comes to you and says, dad, I'm not sure if I wanna serve a mission. Well, my question's gonna be why? Richard it's going to be why don't you want to serve a mission and if he says well it's going to be hard and it's going to be it's going to be i'm going to miss you i'm going to be okay well, i understand that it was hard for me but guess what i was a c minus student when i left and i was an a plus student when i got back the mission does a lot for a person and do you believe it well yeah i believe it well then you should go and I'll, I'll call you every single Monday, and we'll talk. I, I absolutely am ready to, to push that. Same story, whether he comes to me or to Katie. He says, I'm not sure if I want to serve a mission. I don't believe this. Well, he shouldn't go. So it's on either side, we both have to kind of be patient, like be willing to accept.
0: examples, the mission's a good one, and the resurrection is even a good one. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I really like you did, because kids... Sometimes create more, they, they and I love the way you just, in a factual way, because I think they can handle it. Dad doesn't believe in church. I believe in church. Mm-hmm. And we still love each other. Our family's together. We're still going to go on vacations. Um, Dad's not going to go to church anymore. And I think kids can handle just kind of honest, open communication and they sort of like shrug their shoulders, oh, okay, can I still play video games? And, right.
1: That's exactly, and that's so the reaction. I think we
0: sometimes build up these conversations with our kids, but I think it's okay to just have these conversations and mm-hmm. just sort of factually. And and during the podcast, you've held hands many times, <laughs> and it's tender to me just to see the strength of your marriage. And the fact that I love what you said, Katie, is this has caused us to develop better tools than we ever had and has, and has made our marriage stronger. And that's cool. And that's a credit to both of you. It's a really, it's a love story. It is a love story. And I like what you said that some marriages don't last and maybe it's not because of the, it's not because of the difference in faith. It's just the foundation has Mm -hmm. not been there. And this is sort of bringing to light a foundation that is either hasn't been there or through good therapy has not been able to develop. But I do think one of, as I talk with couples in mixed faith marriages, the Often the biggest tension is the kids mm-hmm. and the the role of the non-believing spouse that's that for the believing spouse that can be the most difficult part if they feel because yeah. this dream for the kids and and it's one thing to sort of have your dream with your spouse change but then if that's going to change the kids and I, I sense you're doing a really good job of that and I and I think that's really helpful.
1: Yeah. There is a mourning process. I go through mourning. Yeah. Do you, you know, worry
0: about your kids because Alan doesn't believe? Do you think they're less likely to stay in and in the um, church? And how do you, or do you just sort of leave that at the Savior's feet and just say, well, I'm not good. I can't control my kids' outcomes.
1: Yeah. I think I uh, grew up in a home where everything was controlled and I lived in fear a lot of time. So I didn't do things, not because I chose not to do them, but because I was afraid and, um, I don't want my kids to experience that. I don't want them to ever be afraid. I would, I would want them to come to us if, if anything, if they felt any way about, um, the church and, you know, the chances and likelihood of all of them staying in and being married to someone who's fully in and them having kids that are fully in, are just low. And so I, I have to be realistic too. And, and, um, I feel like, um, I'm going to love my kids no matter what. And I think that that's just the theme is as long when you're, when you're loving your kids the way you should, um, you're going to encourage them to be their best, to do their best, but you'll also be there for them in the really hard times that they have and that, and when it's hard for you and i recognize that that is something that um will happen in the future i i don't doubt that it won't happen
0: i like that thought and um I'm going to look for a quote that my brother sent out. Any more thoughts, Alan, on this
2: while I'm scanning my Twitter feed? <laughs> <laughs> no, scan away. I, I was going to say, too, um, ahead, like Kate.
1: expectations. You know, I had like, I think as members, we at the beginning of our marriage, we have all these expectations. Our kids will get baptized. And, you know, the church is really good at um, hitting monumental uh, ages and, you know, things and milestones. milestones in their lives. And so... Um, I feel like I've had to let go of any expectations I've had for my own future because, you know, I'm not going to be serving a mission with my husband. And that's what that was sad because we served in Barcelona and I thought, oh, one day we could go back and be mission presidents or something. And I had to let go of that. I think that it's the same way with the kids. Um, I let go of a lot of expectations, not that I don't expect them to be good people. I just um, don't expect them to follow the same path that I did. Um, or Alan, because it's their own it's their own path.
0: And I like that. And it's kind of a a related topic. My older brother Dave is active member of the church, state president, mission president. I don't think we should credential ourselves, so I. But I just did. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Um, and he has adult children that have stepped away and. I mean, he talks about this idea of no empty chairs, which is this idea that we may not all be together in the next life. And he's just sort of put that on the shelf. And I like this quote, um, at our house, my wife and I still talk still talk about no empty chairs, but we talk about having no empty chairs at the dinner table, around the pool, on a vacation, at their life events, and in all the chairs from our children's lives. And I I really mm. like that, that. He's not defining his family circle by people's stations with the church and not mourning now a future outcome like, will we not be together as a family? And I I like that. And I think that takes the stress and anxiety of, of your family situation. And if you do have children that step away, he started a support group. That I'll just briefly mention for LDS parents of children who believe differently, because mm. it's sort of like you—you're yeah. a spouse it's a believing spouse that needs community, mm-hmm. and you're creating that with your face with your podcast. But anyway, it's a Facebook group called Bridges LDS Parents. So if you go onto Facebook and look for a Facebook group called Bridges LDS Parents, I really encourage you to join that group if you have adult children who don't believe
2: and for all the non-believing spouses that are listening to that uh, David and Richard both but David I've chatted with David a few times cool. actually.
0: That's awesome. Um,
2: and uh, his recent article in LDS Living that gives yeah, the tell six us tips. About that. Yeah, yeah th- those six tips that that David lays out are awesome and they're beautiful. I'm I'm on fa- and sorry the six tips are for uh, believing parents that have children that no longer believe. And those reading those that's we've had a number of listeners already say this is something safe i can send my parents lds living is trusted david osler is trust, trusted trusted yeah. and i've been very proud of the post-mormon circles that i'm in because those private groups that are full of people that have left are posting that article and nobody's saying a bad thing everybody is saying oh this is great this is awesome this is a step in the right direction and that is one of our core tenets you have to recognize the good. There's nothing more frustrating to me to see um, someone step away from the church and refuse to believe the church can be anything but awful. It's just not the reality. And the same thing goes on Katie's side. She recognizes our position and she'll defend if my position is poorly spoken of uh, in any of her circles, whether that's in her family or at church, uh, we don't want to paint each other in a way that is black and white because it's it's just worlds of gray. We'll call it a hundred shades of gray. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that one. Yeah. <laughs> I like
0: that. Tell us. I've seen some articles that the church has done on LDS.org with couples in mixed faith marriages. Have you picked up on any of that? And have you seen the church try to do what you're doing? Is is keeping families together and recognizing this as a reality?
2: So we, Nick and Chelsea
1: Homer? yeah, there's a couple Nick and Chelsea Homer. I think that they kind of kicked off, um, some of those mixed faith marriage messages. They were featured on, um, the Instagram account. And then later she wrote an article that came out, um,
2: on LDS.org.
1: On LDS. Org, and it was all about supporting your. Unbelieving Spouse, and it was an excellent article, and she got a lot of really great feedback about that. Again, I think it was um, the first time a lot of people had, had seen someone be so public about it. And so, um, when we were doing our podcast, someone sent us the article, and we had them on our podcast. Did and interviewed you? them? You yeah. had both of them. Yeah, we had both of them on. In fact, do you know they what live...
0: episode number that is by chance? Top oh, oh, yeah,
2: let's pull it up because it's
1: you pull, can, it um, pull it up. they live actually about a half a mile from you. They live they're about in between, in halfway
2: in between us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, they're they're a great couple, but um, that's that's one couple I can think of. But um, luckily, we've been really blessed to have a number of couples who have reached out to us who have allowed us to interview them and talk about their mixed faith marriage and how they're making it work Um, because it's tricky. And I think that some stories will speak to others more than ours. So giving people um, just like you are giving us this platform to to come and talk on your program. We try to do the same for um, just stories that can touch people in different ways. I think that really helps.
0: Talk about what your ward does that's helpful. Does your ward know? Does your ward leadership know? I guess they sort of know. Alan doesn't go. You're on ward council. Is his name like on the? Uh, you go. You know how on ward council sometimes there might be yep. a prayer roll.
1: Oh, there's a prayer roll in our ward. Yeah. Um, so
0: is this something? Is Alan's faith talked to? I guess the question is what can a ward? If I'm a bishop or a fellow w- local leader, and I know. You're an active member of the ward, Katie, and your husband stepped away. What are helpful things that I can do? And what are things that are painful?
1: That's a good question. Um, So I think that my bishop was great because he didn't ever talk about it in ward council. And I think it was because I was sitting right there. But he uh, never made Alan a topic of discussion. And it wasn't until um, Alan decided last December that he was not coming back that I felt like it was time for me to talk about it in ward council. Cause I knew that none of them would bring it up. Um, really at the time it was maybe the Bishop and his counselors that knew it wasn't the rest of the ward. Um, I'm sure that they had some sort of idea because he was sporadic in and out. Um, but, um, I, I think that if he had brought it up before before I was ready, I probably would have burst into tears because um, many of the Sundays that I was alone, um I just, if anyone even looked at me wrong, I probably would have just broken down crying. And so in December, I was the one to say, you know, hey everyone, just want to let you know that um Alan won't be attending anymore. If you have any questions, you can ask him. He is open to talking. We're doing great. Our marriage is really good. Uh, He has met with the bishop and stake president, and um, he'll no longer be coming. And everyone just nodded their heads, and we went on. We moved on with ward business. And um, since then, there there was one other time that the elders' quorum president just sweetly said. You know, we just want to know what we can do for the Mount family, and I thought that that was—it was very nice. He—he he did it in a very loving manner, and um, I mean, I didn't know what to say. I just said, you know, just—I said, reach out to Alan, invite him to participate. I mean, he doesn't—he has a hard time being here on Sunday, but he still loves being a part of our neighborhood and community. So one of the um, Ward projects we do every spring is we have, we have like 32 widows in our ward. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one of the projects we did is we have like a spring cleaning and the, the, um, elders go around and clean up yards. And, and so they came and offered, extended, um, Alan, a, a call to come and be in charge of that. And Alan did it.
2: Wow. That was, yeah, about a month, uh, maybe a little more than that now, but recently. How was that for you? It was great. I think one of the one of the more tragic parts of a faith transition out is the loss of of a community. Uh, that's why I tried so hard to stay. The community is super powerful and super positive, especially here in Murray, Utah, where it's predominantly. I mean, our our ward is three streets wide, and so all of our neighbors are our ward members. So the opportunity for me to uh, rub shoulders with them and do service with them, uh, that was what elders quorum was all about for me anyway and so being able to do that again was awesome and i've made it clear hopefully that i'm very very comfortable doing those types of things while i'm not comfortable doing um i'm not gonna be going to ward temple night so you probably shouldn't invite me (laughs) but reach out if there's service opportunities if the elders Quorum's going bowling and you you know i'd love to go that's great and i'm not gonna bring up anything we're just a bunch of dudes it's trying cool. to be dudes. It's really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think Did um, you think
0: you'd get released? Did you somehow think oh. oh my spouse doesn't believe now I can't be a good primary president? And somehow I'm gonna I don't know where your mind in a in a not healthy moment could take you. Cause yeah. I think you're and I'm assuming Alan would agree, I think you're probably a really awesome primary president.
1: Um, I'll be so honest, like, um, I think primary saved me. Um, You know, kids don't care. (laughs) They don't care if you're sad. They don't care if you are having a bad day. Um, They have no judgment. (laughs) So I felt like me having something where I felt comfortable and that I loved and I served, and where they just loved me, and I loved them so much in return, um, it was—it's just such a little safe place. And when I got called to primary, um, I had never even served in the primary before. And then they threw me in the deep end of the ocean, and they called me as the president. And we had just moved in, and wow. and I yeah, and I and I told the bishop I have zero experience. And he's like, I know, but I just really think you should do this. And I didn't know anyone in the ward. And um, I went through just all of my dark days um, was while I was primary president. But somehow um, being at church every Sunday and seeing the kids and seeing them live like these really simple, um, having simple testimonies, teaching the gospel so elementary um, was so good for me. And, um, I just appreciated it. And so I've, I'm actually at the point now where I'm worried (laughs) that they're going to release me because I don't know where three years. Yeah. I'm going on three years and I just don't know where I fit. You know, I, I, if I'm being totally honest, um, I would say that I'm a little nuanced. Um, I don't know how you can't be when you're in a mixed faith marriage, but, um, it has been just heaven in primary
0: It's really cool bet you are a great primary president. (laughs) Have you resented her serving in the church, Alan, and being gone from the home and the meetings she'd go to? And is that, have you felt feelings of resentment? Because some spouses might, that the church is sort of more important than our relationship or is taking time away from
2: us. There was a time where, I don't know, let's call it resentment, just not to nitpick. There was a time that I was, we had conversations on, and it stemmed from the, the fact that every Sunday I was getting my kids ready and my wife was marching them off and I was left alone and my neighborhood was alone. My neighborhood was empty as well, I mean. And at first...
0: You could catch all the burglars.
2: Right? I know. <laughs> There's so a lot here. Neighborhood say, watch. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Oh, I know. Um, the, you know. For a couple of weeks, it was like, wow, I get these three hours to myself and look how much I can get done or not get done and just play games and do this. That gets old pretty quick. And so there was, there was a feeling of, and I still don't like it. I still don't like being alone for those two hours now. But we had a conversation out on our back patio one day that goes right along with what Katie just shared. And I was complaining to her saying, why does it have to be church every Sunday? Why can't, why can't we go hiking? It's beautiful outside. Why can't we go hiking? And her response was, we can. Can we just do it after? I, I serve God in the primary. That's where I feel close to him and I love it. And for whatever reason that got through my thick skin and, and in that moment I just thought I I should not be trying to pull something that is valuable away from her. So let's, let's schedule that hike, but let's do it so it doesn't interfere with something else that is valuable to you.
0: I should not pull, try to pull something away. That's valuable for her. I love that for someone in a mixed faith marriage. And that's sort of back to Elder Hafen's bursting someone's balloon. I should not try to pull something away that's, I can't remember the rest of the phrase, that's important to her. I I just admire that. And I, I think it's back to the fundamentals of your marriage that are really wonderful and really healthy. And you're navigating really complex stuff, but it's giving you a framework to navigate other areas of your marriage and it's it's a love story. I keep coming back. This is a love story. This isn't the love story you thought you would have. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's a beautiful story of, of really working through really complicated stuff. And there's emotional and there's trauma and there's pain and there's anger and all these emotions. And those emotions often get, you know, have to be sort of dealt with. <laughs> and they get projected sometimes on each other. And, it, and that probably has happened at times, but you seem to work through that in a really mature, thoughtful way. And you know, I just you know, it's really remarkable. I'm very touched. I'm touched by the prayer you offered, Katie, at the beginning, and the spirit that's here. I, I feel good spirit around both of you. I, you know, I recognize you're not a believer, but I still feel just a goodness about you, Alan.
2: Well, Richard, can I say <laughs> that something that's been so valuable is not denying other people's experiences, right? I feel, and call it karma, call, call it elevation emotion, whatever you want to call it, I, the, the atmosphere in the room is powerful. And I I will not deny that. I don't look at any of the experiences I had and deny it. Even the ones that I now believe I misinterpreted, I still felt those things, and I'm still grateful for those experiences.
0: And we're kind of coming to the end of, of course I I think about you, Alan, and I think if we had taught the church differently, if we had been, if you had learned about the gospel topics earlier, and I don't want to invalidate that you're weak because you learned something later and that was no direct, but I do sort of, because I love our church and I, I want more to be able to stay, and I recognize that I call it unforced errors. It's a tennis term that sort of You know, I see unforced errors in our institutional church that cause really wonderful members to question and to leave. And I don't, there's a side of me that's able to look inward and say, we need to do better. And it's easy just to say, well, this Satan in the last days and the elector getting deceived. And I think some one of Satan's tools is to keep us from looking inward and see how we can do better. Um, And so I, kind of want to look inward and I believe in the restored church and the doctrine and the institutional church is sort of a different animal that has to sort of implement the restored church and, and decide when to teach the gospel essays and how to teach church history. And, and we're learning how to do that better. But then I think, are you, you know, if we'd just done better. And so I don't know. My own son came home from seminary. He's the youngest and he came back and talked about the very complicated issue you talked about and how that was taught at, his age, pre-mission. He's got a mission call now, and and I don't think that's going to, you know, it's not going to then generate a surprise where he learned something different than the church taught, and felt a spiritual experience around the original teaching. So, I don't know what to make of that, and so I, I mourn a little bit. I don't, I don't feel any need to judge you, but I mourn that I look inward and said, is this an unforced error? You know, is this. Something that if we had done better as an institutional church, would you and other really wonderful, incredible people that have left been able to stay? And I don't know the answer to that. And I'm not sure it's a fair question to ask you because it may invalidate how hard you work to stay. If I just had a simple, if you just learned one thing differently, you'd right, stay. Right. And that's me wanting to put everything back in the nice, tidy box. And sure. Simplify the complicated nature of the space.
2: Well, let me give two, can I give two examples. Sure. One would be, you know, Richard. I could still come back, and in order for me to come back, my my position that I currently hold would need to be honored. Yes, and and also be, um, I would need to be looked at and treated as a full participating member. I don't know that the church is in a place right now where that's possible. So referring to this nebulous issue that we've talked about is my space saying, I don't believe that that should have ever happened. And I never, I do not accept that that came from God. Is the church in a place where someone that holds that position and is vocal about the position can be called as a Bishop can be called as an elders corn president can be called as a primary teacher. I don't know that it is. I don't think that it is. So for for me, uh, I'm more than happy to come back. I I really am. It, I I don't feel safe there, and I don't feel my my views are welcome. That's really point. honest. Uh, another, and this may be this may be a sharper a sharper response to it, but to give you a perspective of someone that does hold beliefs, and while I try to be very sensitive about sharing those, and we've tried to work through very sensitively in our marriage and in friendships with people that ask me why. I still hold pretty pretty firm opinions, (laughs) and from my perspective, I look at, and this is a very stark example, so I hope it's not, I'm trying to think of one that's not as severe, (laughs) but let's say that there's a kid growing up um, in his parents are oh gosh I really hate this example I'm sorry I'm making editing hard on you it's so it's I'm just gonna say it and you can edit it out if you don't like it but it, it reminds me of if if someone was raised in Syria and his parents were members of Isis again pretty pretty direct and pretty violent literally example if he did not know that, that community that he was in did very harmful things to other groups of people, and all of a sudden he, at the age of 20, finds out that, oh my goodness, my uncle is killing people because of their beliefs. That would be very shocking to him, and he would say, absolutely not. I'm not gonna be a part of it. I gotta get out somehow. But if that same child is taught from a very young age, the age of five, that, The killing of these people is okay, uh, then he's going to grow up thinking it's okay. That's the hard part. There's a wall between me and you right now, Richard, because there are things that I don't think are okay. And I struggle with the possibility of my kids being taught those things in the coming years and taught that they're normal. And that's very difficult. Because I don't want them to feel like those things are normal.
0: And I just sense your sincerity in that and a conviction and I'm, and I just, I'm okay with that. I think you've done a good job of that. Any thoughts on that, Katie?
1: Um, I'd like to say yes. And, (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, I think that our kids are going to learn a lot of things at church. They're also going to learn a lot of things at school, at home with their friends, um, and elsewhere. So it's our job as parents to teach them the right thing. And if they choose to, to continue to go to church or, um, you know, maybe we can talk to them. We do a lot of talking after church. What did you learn? What does it mean to you? Do you believe it? That sort of thing, just at their level. Um, because we want them to be able to develop their own sense of, ideas and come to their own conclusions right um but we also want to encourage so um i mean obviously i don't feel the same way as as alan um but i absolutely respect how he feels and as a partner and spouse and as a father i can understand how he why he feels the way he does
2: and that is why what she just said is why i'm not Put, stomping my foot and putting it down and saying, you will not be going to seminary. You will not be doing this because we've taken a proactive approach to have the conversations with them and allow them space to choose what they're going to believe. So thank you for saying that. Katie.
0: Any concluding thoughts, either of you'd like to share?
1: Um, I would like to say if you are going through, um, a mix. If you're in a mixed faith marriage, if you yourself are in crisis, um, there's help. There are wonderful, amazing therapists. There are, there are people out there. There are podcasts that you're listening to now that you can find that are here to help you. You're not alone. I think that's the overall feeling I want people to feel is that, you know, even in our darkest times, um, there are people that are willing to put themselves out there in order for someone else to gain understanding or, um, feel love or, um, whatever it is that they need from that. And I think that those are why we came to earth. We have these Christ-like qualities and we're trying to learn how to connect with people in our own pain And there are people that are trying to do that. And so please, if you want to follow us or contact us, um, we'll give, we're our marriage on a tight rope and we're always here to listen. And um, I think that's it for me. That's
0: great, Katie. Alan.
2: I don't want to add much because that was beautiful. Uh, One thing I would say is, especially for those that are just finding themselves in this situation, either mixed-faith marriage or the beginning of a faith crisis, uh, give yourself time. Don't feel like you have to make life-changing decisions right now. It's the worst time in the world to make emotional decisions Is in the right in the heart of your dark night of the soul. Uh, give yourself time. It feels like the world is crumbling around you. It feels like everything is not what you thought it was. You're not trusting anything. You're not trusting yourself. You're not trusting your spouse. Cling to your spouse. Cling to what you know about them and what that you love about them. It's going to be better. It gets better. It's not perfect. And the things that we have talked about today, we're presenting the best parts of our relationship. We have, we still argue. So allow yourself that. Make, Make the mistakes, not on purpose, but when you make them, don't look at an edited podcast and think, oh, we can't do that, that's impossible. It's possible, it's okay, don't beat yourself up, give yourself time.
0: Uh, this is just a great podcast and it's a great work you're doing and I, I'm i rethinking back to the gospel essays, I brought those up in our own elders core maybe six months ago and the impression I gave to the elders was, y- you ought to say a prayer and ask Heavenly Father if it's right for you to read these. I like that. Versus just a requirement that everybody read them. Mm -hmm. And because I think, I just think that that content is something that may be helpful for some and some that may not be. It can generate a faith crisis. I've met just like it did with you. And you innocently were preparing an elder's quorum Mm -hmm. lesson. I've heard other stories like that of people that I really deeply admire. So you're turning to church authorized resources. That generated a faith crisis, and so I think the gospel essays are there. I think the leaders are trying to figure out the best way to present this content, and not. And so it's not. A, some would say it should be on the front page of the church's website, and everybody should read them. And I probably maybe thought that at one point, but now I don't. I, and I think it's everybody's individual journey. I, I also remember our corn president talking about visiting him, um, and I've shared this before: a man in our ward who's not been active for over two decades, and. He took he got to know him well enough that he took him out to lunch. And he just said to him, says, Tell me the story of why you don't why you don't attend. And that guy got kind of tears in his eyes. And he said, You know, I've lived in this ward for twenty plus years and no one's ever asked me that question. And the thought came to my mind, it's a thought from Taylor Christensen, an earlier podcast, young man, he said the Good Shepherd knew his sheep well enough to know where they were and where to find them and why they were there. And so I'm not sure that everybody member can do that, though. I'm not sure every member could talk to you, Alan, and and have the ability to fully hear your, my brother could, you know, Dave. And I think I could. And I would have now that I couldn't five years ago or 10 years ago. I've been really scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm glad. But I'm not sure everybody's—I'm not trying to elevate myself over other members of the church, but everybody just has different gifts. So. Yeah. And I think you're good at sort of honoring that. Um, but I do think we've got to develop overall a better— my brother Dave talks about this. He, he believes leaders just don't quite know what to do with people like you. There's no—no no one's really had training on what do we do when a member comes. And you're right. I think you mentioned before we started that the first person you talked to hadn't even wasn't even familiar with the gospel essay, so they had no framework to even— discuss the very facts you were discussing. And so I do think that's one of the things you're helping and others are helping is just to help local leaders have better tools to know what to do and know how to fully meet your needs, Katie, and fully meet your needs. And it sounds like a pretty good local leaders. yeah. But you've heard enough of those experiences to know that that can be a very difficult experience. Mm -hmm. And I do, I always felt our ward, and I don't, I realize this probably isn't realistic in your situation, I've always felt the ward our YSA ward needed to not have a belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome. Everybody should feel welcome. And I think on your elders quorum assignments, you don't, you feel welcome. Right. Because there's no belief or behavior hurdle and you'll even lead and do some of these things. And I like that. And I don't, I'm not in charge of the general councils of the church to know how we do that, but you know, it's, and I've always thought the temple recommend questions are kind of belief and behavior. And I've always, the longer I spend with people like you, I've, I've recognized the behavior is usually not the challenge. I mean, you could have a temple recommend, I sense, um, and the behavior questions are fine. Um, it's the, the belief questions that are harder. Yeah. And I've always felt it's harder to control belief than behavior. Um, I can't just, I think, and so I, I hope I want to give more space then for people with different levels of belief. Because I, there's DNC, whatever says to some it's given to know, to some it's given to believe. And I realize you don't have really either of those right now. <laughs> and so I don't want to. But I do wonder if we can improve as a church and create more space for different levels of belief as people are doing their best to come unto Christ and, and we can just mature and there's less fear and less defensiveness. And as we share a thoughtful alternative view, that that. that doesn't necessarily need to be triggering. And I recognize you recognize you realize that's not possible right now in your ward. And you tried to do that for a period of time and it just wasn't possible. And you recognize maybe that's not even helpful. Right. So that's, it's just very helpful for me to have an honest discussion of how we navigate the space. And I'm so glad that both of you are on the podcast and encourage our listeners to go find your podcast, marriage on a tight rope and really glad to have this wonderful couple, Alan and, Katie Bount on the podcast can consider you really dear friends. And thanks for sharing your story. Thank thanks, you. Richard. Thank you. And thanks our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.